You're listening to Everything's Totally Fine. I'm Allie Hawk, and I'll be your host. Each episode, we bring you people who share stories about their lives. These aren't just any people. They're the toughest we can find. Join us to hear about the times we pretend everything's totally fine. Our guest this week runs obstacle races, and he's been sober for seven years. He's an author and recently published his first book called Real Empathy. And you can find that on Amazon to read on your Kindle or any other e-reader. Dan Freeman starts us off with a story from before he was published. So I work, I'm working in a TV literary department at a sizable agency. And I love my boss. A lot, of, a lot of assistants will be like, not they don't love their boss for a variety of reasons. I loved my boss. My boss and I had like a legendary solid relationship. And when, so when was this? This was, this was probably... 2013. Okay. So uh, my boss, his office was cool. He had a nice desk, a nice coffee chair he sat in, and he had sort of a couch for visitors to sit in to take meetings and a little coffee table right in front of the couch, TV in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's pretty standard agent office. Um, And then my desk was just right outside his door, facing away from his door. So one evening, and I think it was in the winter, I remember it got dark early, I was not feeling good at all. I had sort of some kind of cold flu, you know, stuffy cough thing going on. And I felt terrible. So during lunch, I went out and I grabbed, you know, like NyQuil and DayQuil and a whole bunch of stuff. And I got back to my desk and sort of late afternoon, I felt so crummy. I just took a bunch of that DayQuil. Now, part of the fun of being me is even the non-drowsy stuff knocks me out. Oh, okay. It's very weird. And I uh, took a lot, (laughs) took way too much. And felt not only horrible, but also like Dan needs sleep now. So I went into my boss's office. He was fortunately gone for the day. And I was like, well, I don't want to leave the place. I can't drive. And it's probably a little too early to leave work, even if it's sort of slow. So I went and took a nap on his couch. So. And had you ever done that before? Not really. I mean, mm-hmm. some, some assistants would do that if it was dead, if their boss was unavailable anyway, if nothing was going to come up. You know, they might go in, close the door, and take a nap, especially if they didn't feel well. So it wasn't unheard of. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't really do it much. Mm-hmm. But I was. it was It was very fast, and it was very urgent, and it was very much like, I got to lie down right now. Okay. So I went and I laid down on his couch. I wake up. I don't even think I missed calls. Like, there was nothing. I didn't. There were no fires to put out because I slept. But because... Because I was feeling sick and probably because I drank way too much cough syrup, I was sweating profusely. Like, my face was stuck to the couch. So I had to, like, peel myself off mm-hmm. his couch and sort of wipe myself off. And it was now pretty safe to go home, so I headed home. The next day, he's like, hey, Dan. He calls me in his office. I'm like, yeah. He's like, what's that? And apparently... My perspiration, the uh, saltiness, the salt water, had eroded the finish on his couch. And it was very perfectly the side profile of my face and also on the inside of the armrest, the top of my head where it had been pushed up. Right. What's that, do you think? And it, like, I'm doing him now and it sounds like he knows. He didn't, he was not alluding to the fact that it looked like my face. It seemed like if he knew, 
he was giving me the opportunity to to not be upfront about it. And so staring at my face print right on his leather couch. Like did you know immediately? Yeah. It was it's hard not to And he didn't have any idea. If he did, he definitely was nice about it and didn't like, you know, I feel like there's a 50-50 chance he looked at that couch and said, that looks like my assistant's face. I'm going to mess <laughs> with him a bit before letting him off the hook. But I I was sort of like, uh, gosh, I don't know. And I walked over and I sort of rubbed on it. And sure enough, it had removed the like the, the maroon coloring. Of, it was faded in the shape of my face. And I'm like, gosh, I don't know. Uh, maybe someone's pen broke in their pocket or something. That's so weird. And he comes over and he's like, licks his finger and like rubs on it to see if it comes up you know and it doesn't obviously (laughs) and he's like huh weird and we never spoke about it again and so did he get a different couch no i think it's the same couch in there now people sit on your face imprint people sit on my face someone could have done that today someone probably did do that today i will tell you this though i never took another nap in that office (laughs) i've had bosses i've worked for in a variety not just entertainment but i've had a lot of different people i've worked for that I didn't respect and I didn't like very much. And even though I'd never purposefully hurt anybody, I wouldn't feel bad about messing up the couch. Mm-hmm. This is a person I really never wanted to ever do wrong to. Now, this is something I'm really glad that Dan brought up because it's totally true. There's something about letting down a person that you respect that makes it seem impossible to be able to confront them about it. It seems like the higher you hold someone, then the more weight your mistake has. He was always so good to me and so nice to me. A braver person would have said, well, you know, boss, that's my face. <laughs> but I, uh, I guess not. This week, the show is brought to you by UR Sportswear. UR Sportswear is an athletic clothing company whose founder knows how important it is to stay comfortable when working out. If you go to URSportswear.com, you can check out all of the awesome clothes they have to offer and use the promo code ETFSHOW to get 10% off your order. Back to Dan. In kindergarten and preschool, I liked girls. And, like, they would chase me, and I'd pretend to be like, ew, gross. And I'd be like, hee, hee, because I was, like, nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so in, I don't, this is probably second grade, maybe third grade, uh, a kid came up to me with a pencil, old school number two pencil. And he takes my hand, and he starts erasing the top of my hand. Okay. Um, it was my right hand. And he started just back and forth, back and forth. And he said, does that hurt? And it did. Oh, God, it hurt. It hurt so bad. But there were two girls right there. Mm-hmm. So I did what any person would say, trying to impress other people. And I mm-hmm. said, no. And he goes, really? I go, yep. It hurt. It felt like my hand was on fire. <laughs> right. But I was like, nope. He keeps going. Does it hurt now? Girls are still there. Nope. Now? Nope. Are you sure? And by the time we hit, are you sure, I looked... And he had liquidated the skin uh, on top of uh, my hand. Oh, no. He had given me... A blister. Uh, no. Uh, a So, like, degree burns. Is third the worst or is first the worst? I never, Third I, is the worst. So I had a first degree burn then. Wow. On the top of my hand. Oh, my god. And gosh. he had just liquidated. You can still 
vaguely see this dark splotch Jeez. right in there because I let this kid erase the skin off my hand. <laughs> so the poor, this poor kid is like, are you sure? Yeah, but we can stop now. And a teacher comes over. And she's like, what did you do to him? And he's like, he said it didn't hurt. Like, this poor kid is just like, he said it didn't hurt. And I'm like, he's telling the truth. Like, I let this happen 100%. And we had a whole school assembly about the safety and not using pencils as weapons. And oh, the, no. the kid was not suspended. He didn't get in any serious trouble or anything. Because even one-on-one with the principal, I was like, I need you to know mm-hmm. that he asked a hundred times and I let this happen. But they we still had this whole assembly oh, because wow. I just let this kid erase the skin off my hand because there were girls watching. <laughs> yeah, so you're the kind of kid where the rest of us, when we're at the assembly, we're like, why are we going over this? I was that kid. It was my fault. I did it. Every time. Okay. To all of your listeners, it was me. Okay. A hundred times. That clears me. things up. All right. Um, so, yeah, when I was 10, uh, a lot of kids in my age group were diagnosed with ADHD. It was like the fad. It was like the new thing. And a lot of us were put on Ritalin. Mm-hmm. And I had the great misfortune of being one of those kids. So um, I was put on Ritalin. Actually, it was Adderall, not Ritalin. Most of the other kids had Ritalin. I was put on Adderall. And I had a very common side effect, which was I got depressed. I had the two best school weeks of my life, and then I got depressed. Okay. Um, And, you know, Psychiatry 101 textbook says put them on an antidepressant. And so I was. And then I had a very rare reaction, not quite as common as the depression. I had a disassociative manic episode at 10 years old. And... uh, that happens to something like one one hundredth of one percent of people on medication. Oh, geez. And wow. Mo- yeah, and most of them aren't in 10. <laughs> right. So uh, it was pretty unpleasant. Uh, I basically felt like a prisoner in my own head. Uh, it, I kind of, as a result, understand, like, the myth of possession, like, like demon possession, because that's how it felt. I was stuck in my own head. Uh, and it felt like something awful was behind the wheel of my life, and it's systematically hurting m- everyone I cared about and ruining my existence. Um, and how long did that feeling last for? I blacked a lot of it out, but my understanding is months. It lasted for months. Okay. Um, Were you still going to school? Intermittently. Uh, it was a fight. I never wanted to go. I was never willing to go. But it all kick-started on one night when uh, I had a, a crush on a girl whom we'll call Cindy, which is not her real name, okay. but um, it is her name in my book, but uh, same character. So I had this crush on this girl, Cindy, and you know, fifth grade, I was like 10 years old, and I called Cindy, and I, you know, I don't remember what I said, but it was something to the extent of, hey, I like you, do you wanna go out, or can I be your boyfriend, or something. And she, uh, ever so sensitive fifth grade girl, said, I'd rather die. And then she repeated it. And then she hung up the phone. And that was kind of the straw that broke my chemical makeup in my brain's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sent me spiraling into this episode that spanned a very long time. It's kind of 
messed with me ever since a little bit. But as I eventually came out of it mm-hmm. and uh, went to a private middle school and eventually a private high school, mm-hmm. um, I started blaming Cindy. I started feeling like if she had just been nicer, if she had just, I don't know, put me, let me down easy instead of being so cruel, I thought maybe I could have avoided what would end up being the most difficult, painful thing in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I grew up, I sort of started this list in my head of things I wanted to say to her. Uh, it was not nice. It was not a nice <laughs> series of things. Um, and in high school, that still, that list remained ever longer. And So you were pretty frequently thinking about this and thinking I, about her. I th- it took a decade before I didn't think about this series of events every day. Every day. Okay, every so day. at this time you were thinking about it every day. Daily. Okay. And it's hard when thinking about it to not fall back into and stupid Cindy. Like, mm-hmm. why weren't you nicer to me? Mm-hmm. So I went to this private high school, and part of that was uh, a sophomore spaghetti supper in which you basically were raising funding to pay for the junior prom that year. Okay, right. Um, and the next year you got to go to prom, and sophomores would pay for your prom, and so on and so forth. So a lot of outsiders were invited to this thing. Outsiders? Like meaning? outsiders, like non-students at this school, like, you know, friends, family, people who didn't attend the school, but oh, people... because it was a large fundraiser. Yeah, it's right. huge fundraisers, so get as many people there as possible. Um, and so I'm walking around in my cool leather jacket that I wore pretty much every day for three years or something. Um, and I see a friend of mine who I will call Ellie which is not her real name either. Okay. Uh, I see a friend of mine, and I see that she's got this really cute friend with her. And I go up, and I'm like, Ellie, who's your friend? And as soon as the words leave my mouth, and I'm like, that's Cindy. And, and was she there? Was she standing right next to her? Yeah, she was standing right next to her. I was going over there to flirt. <laughs> because you're still attracted apparently, to her. I mean, you're very attracted to this girl. Apparently, six years later, and she's still my type. Um, <laughs> Does she recognize you? Yeah. Yeah, she's like, oh, Dan. Do you remember me? And I legitimately have no idea how long I was silent. I like to think it was a normal, like, human conversation amount, but there's a chance I stood there for a long time because in my head there was this, like, what are we going to do? We have, like, I would have loved to just been like, you know, I do remember you. Funny you should ask. Because you'd been preparing this whole list of things to say to her. For years. For years. Okay, so. For every day. For years. And in that moment, I realized that that girl was 10 and I was being kind of weird and like she didn't mean it. Like she was just living her life and some guy was like, date me. And she was like, no. And that was her version of no. She didn't mean to, to set me off on a disassociative manic episode. And... Even if she had been nice, it would have been something else. It wouldn't have been her. And, and so, so you're realizing all yeah, of this? Right, right in front of her. And so I had to pretend like it was fine. Oh, uh-huh. But I didn't want to be, like, great about it either. So the revenge I finally got on her was I just pretended like I didn't remember. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't. She was like, oh, okay. And that was it. And when I left, I said something like, it was nice meeting you again. And, like, it was so uncomfortable. 
And like, I know that she knew that I was being weird and I knew I was being weird. But to me, it really did feel like the leastest of most evils. <laughs> right. Instead of being like, you know, up until 30 seconds ago, I blamed you for the most traumatic experience of my life. She had, for whatever part she played, she had a very large role in my childhood. Yeah. And she doesn't even know it. No. That's the weirdest part. She's right. got no idea. Right. And I think that happens. People, there are some memories in all of our lives that, like in my life, that I know make a big deal. Like, they're a big deal to me. And they helped me understand who I am. They felt, like, very self-defining. And they could involve people that aren't very involved in my life at all and would have no idea. Right. And there's also a chance that we are that for other people. Right. Like, I tried so hard to be kind to everyone I've encountered because of what happened to me. And because when I was a kid, no one knew what was wrong with me. And the kids were not kind to me. And it took me a long time, forgetting Cindy, it took a long time before I let go of blaming. Meaning like, I blamed the psychiatrist, I blamed Cindy, I blamed the kids in the grade who were horrific to me when I was in that way. Why couldn't they have been nicer? Why couldn't she have been more sensitive? Why couldn't that psychiatrist have not been a stupid schmuck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the truth is, this was new ground. They were 10. I was weird. No one acted in a way that is different than what would be fairly expected from people. Right. And so I had to eventually learn to just let go of all of it and not be mad anymore. And why? Because blame is natural. Right. I, I feel like in an experience like what you're describing, and it's comforting in a way because it's got to be somebody somebody's fault. else's fault, right. then it's, you're not going to make it happen to yourself again. Right. Or just it just doesn't. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just, oh, you're walking down the street and this happens. If it's somebody's fault, it's like, you did this. They did this. And you can this. control your exposure to them to make yeah. sure. Okay, so then you, ch but you chose to let go of the blame. Yeah, it's, it took a long time. I mean, talking, now I'm 31. I've been sitting with this for 21 years. Been in therapy for most of that time. Um, you know, you are not Theseus. You're not... Hercules you are we are all the heroes of our own story with our own secret troubles and our own goals and dreams and everything so if you're in conflict with someone if if something in your life isn't the way you want it to be like everyone around you is just like you trying to do the best they can generally that's our show book is inspired by that last story you heard him tell and you can find it on amazon it's called real empathy dan's name is spelled d-a-n-n freeman as always we have some thank yous to danny janino for the theme music jen hamilton for our art heather mason libby spears with blueprint films and to dan freeman again check his book out on amazon thanks for listening